Today's sermon text is Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of his sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Linda. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, we beseech you to be with us today. And when I say be with us, I know you're already here. But be with us in a way that manifests your glory and your beauty. Be with us in a way that the veil that is over some of our eyes, put there by the God of this age, would be torn in half so that we could see you clearly for who you really are. We thank you that you love us and that you fight for us and you fight to be with us and you fight to redeem us. And we pray, Jesus, that we would open our hearts to you, worship you, come to you, and be with you today. Let us meet together, Jesus, over your word, the word made flesh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We're going to be uh, starting a new series today called Vision. And the idea behind this series is to spend the next at least several weeks talking through or really getting our church prepared for a pretty big change happening on September the 17th. On September 17th, we're going to be going to two services. Two services. The first service will be at 9.15. The second service will be at 11. So we're not going to have a 10.30 service anymore. We're going to have a 9.15 service, and we're going to have an 11 o'clock service that day. Um... The cynic inside of me is saying, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous that you're going to be talking to the church about double services when you should be in God's word and doing expository preaching and yada, yada, yada. Um, I want you to know that if you're cynical about that, I am probably ten times as cynical as you are. Um, I do not have any ambition for us to be the next trendy place for people to come in the city of Memphis. I could not care less about that. 
But I do want to make room for the new people that are coming to us and for the dear friends that have not come yet. The dear friends who are not here, who are going to be coming. Because if you look around, we don't have any place for those folks to sit. And so I'm not going to jump into the nuances of some of the feelings that I have around this until, until next week. Uh, so bear with me. Next week is going to be a little bit more practical than today is going to be. Today I'm hoping to lay a foundation, um, not just for why we're going to be going to double services, but really a foundation for what we feel that, well, for, for, how should I say this? This is not in my notes. Um, a, a foundation for how we are informed or how we should be informed by Scripture in our approach to what we do on Sunday mornings, to what we do as community groups, to what we do as various ministries in the church. I want us to be built on the scriptures. And so today is probably going to be a little bit more dense than you're used to. Now, I'm not apologizing for going a little deeper into God's word today. I love preaching and teaching God's word. But I'm trying to get you ready today that if this is not going to be a popcorn message And so if you are really going to interact with today's message, you're probably going to find yourself in one of two camps. Either bored out of your mind, because I'm not trying to excite you today or give you some euphoric or visceral experience, or if you lean in and maybe jot down a word or two every now and then so we can stay on track together, I think you're going to set up your heart to uh, experience... Um, the Word of God in a way that may open your eyes today. I really do believe that. And so I don't know if any of that made sense, but I'm just going to go ahead and jump into it. So uh, point number one, September 17th. What day are we going to be going to double services? September 17th. That's almost 40 days away, and uh, we've got about that much time to get ready for it. What time are we going to be meeting on September 17th? 9, 15, and 11. Now, about six months ago, we took a poll in our church And we asked you, it was an anonymous poll, we handed out some pieces of paper and said, hey, if you were going to go to an early service or a late service, which one would you go to? And it was about 50-50. That's awesome. Now, if a bunch of you change your mind and go to the early service, we're going to have to start a third service. I do not want to preach three times on a Sunday, or I'm not going to go to work till Wednesday after recuperating from that. So we need you to try to half this baby up and be, you know, do what you think you're going to do. So, again, I don't, I don't, somebody asked me this week, they were asking me about like strategies for starting another service, and I was like, I don't even know how to do that. I've never done that before. So, um, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, let's get to the important stuff. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, Theophilus, every time I hear that, I think of Buck Rogers. Anybody else? Do you think of Buck Rogers, Robert? No? Okay. If you know Buck Rogers and you know who Theophilus is, that's not the same Theophilus that was in Buck Rogers. Um, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So Luke, the writer of Acts, we think Luke wrote this, the physician who traveled with the Apostle Paul, he's referencing a letter that he wrote prior to the book of Acts. Now his name is what again? Luke. Not Theophilus. Luke. Um, (laughs) And Luke is referencing a letter he wrote before the book of Acts. Anybody want to take a guess on what that letter was? 
It's the gospel of Luke. You're exactly right. You are brilliant people. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up. So he's talking about his previous writings that concerned all the thing that, all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus taught until he ascended out of their sight. That's what my first book was about, the Gospel of Luke. And after he ascended, but before he ascended, he gave commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what commandments? We, the church, must take Jesus' commands to heart. Because what Jesus was doing until the time that he ascended was setting up his church. He was setting up his church. He was preparing the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean a building or a location. I mean the people of God, the called out people of God. People who have been taken from the dominion of this world, whose eyes have been opened to the beauty and the glory of God through Jesus. He has been preparing those people for what he wants them to do as his representatives in our world. That's all of us, too. This is also our responsibility. Okay, so let's go to Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. Luke 24. We're going to have a bit of a Bible drill today, but this is good for us. So Luke 24, 44 through 49. So this is the command that he was speaking of. The command that Jesus gave to his apostles before he ascended, the command that we've got to obey, this is the command that he gave. Verses 44 through 49 of Luke 24. Check this out. Then he, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Basically, the Old Testament. Now, in their mind, it wasn't an Old Testament. It was the Testament. It was the Bible. Much of the New Testament had not been written yet. And I don't want to lower the New Testament compared to the Old Testament because the Old Testament is also the Word of God. Peter even acknowledges this in his writings. I don't have time to tease that out right now. But the New Testament is the Word of God. The Old Testament is the Word of God. Uh, a th- great theologian by the name of D.A. Carson says this, that the, that the New Testament is the footnotes of the Old Testament. The New Testament is the exposition of the Old Testament showing us how Jesus is on every single page of the Old Testament. He's all over it. So Jesus began to expound to them about himself how he is found in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. How that's all been fulfilled through Jesus and his church. And his church. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. Now, I find that fascinating. Because these men who traveled with him for three years, laid around campfires with Jesus for three years, hung out in people's living rooms for three years with Jesus, spent intense, immense time with Jesus. 
they still had to have their minds open. The Holy Spirit still had to wash their minds in such a way that they could really see Jesus for who he is and why he came and what he desires to continue to do through his followers. It's not just about signing on to the right club, joining the right church. It is about having your mind opened by the Spirit. As a matter of fact, Luke leads into this by telling us a story that precedes these words by Jesus. In this story, there were two disciples walking on a road to a place called Emmaus. And on their way there, a man came among them and began to, exp- and began to expound to them the Old Testament and how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And they didn't realize that it was Jesus who was talking to them until that night at dinner. And then they realized it. And after Jesus disappeared from their midst, they said, Oh my goodness. My paraphrase. Oh my Jesus. Oh my God. Anyway, my, weren't our hearts burning within us while he spoke? And then this leads into Jesus' command to his disciples. Before he tells them what to do, he opens their heart to him. Before he tells them what to do, he first opens their heart to him. If our hearts and minds have not been open to Jesus, anything Jesus commands us to do will be a burden to us. Our hearts must be open to him, must be open to him. So we open their minds so that they could grasp and understand the scriptures. Now, here's the question. What exactly did Jesus help them to grasp? Again, Jesus, his story is the climax of the Old Testament. Jesus is the key to understanding the Old Testament. The Old Testament is somewhat unintelligible without being able to see Jesus in the Old Testament. Once you see Jesus in the Old Testament, you can't unsee Jesus in the Old Testament. Because Jesus is the Word made flesh. At the beginning of John's Gospel, when he said that Jesus is the Word made flesh, he wasn't necessarily speaking about the book of Romans. He was talking about all of the words of the Old Testament, how those words became the revelation of God, the manifestation of God in the world, who is Jesus, the Word made flesh. Yes, the New Testament is Jesus. The Old Testament is Jesus. But Jesus is opening his disciples' minds so they can understand God's ways, God's dealings with them. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And Jesus is the Word made flesh. So today, even though Jesus has ascended out of our sight to God, he's not up there somewhere, he's, just, he's out of our sight. We can't see him. He is in the presence of the living God, Yahweh himself. Don't ask me to explain that, that Trini- all that Trinitarian stuff. I just believe it. Okay. He is God. He is with God. He will be sent by God again. He will go back to, I don't know how that works, but he's God. And in this context, Jesus is the word made flesh. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
The Old Testament is anticlimactic without the life and work of Jesus. The Old Testament is the word of, who is the word, the word of God is Jesus. The word made flesh. Jesus is the key to God's word. He's the cheat code of the Old Testament. You don't get the Old Testament without Jesus. Jesus isn't just veiled in the Old Testament. Jesus is the Old Testament. Jesus is the law, the prophets, the Psalms. Jesus is the word made flesh. It's Jesus. And God opened the disciples' minds to the scriptures. This was huge because all of his disciples were good Jewish boys who were raised in what we call the Old Testament. And he opened their minds to be able to see the life and glory of Jesus in the Old Testament. I was trying to think of of an analogy to help us with this. And the only thing I could come up with was like a video game. Um, I'm a little, I'm going to show my age here, but video games for me, when I was a kid, were a plastic cartridge that you put in a plastic box. Video games today are gigabytes and gigabytes of data on a disc, and then you've got to download more and more gigabytes of data so that the game will work. But what's interesting about today's video games is that they're, they're, they're an entire world that you can explore. But you can't go into the world of that video game if you don't first start at level one. You've got to start at level one. Unless you have some sort of cheat code or a way around those, fi- those walls or whatever that is. Again, I'm dating myself here. Uh, Super Mario Brothers didn't have these kinds of things. So um, uh, remember, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, B, start. Anybody do that? Contra. Contra. I destroyed Contra. I would beat you kids badly at Contra. Uh, jumping and shooting. Um, but you've got all these gigabytes of data. This is really, this is totally relevant to the sermon, I promise. Um, But much of the video games today are totally inaccessible. That game has to be played level by level by level and then beaten for the entire game to be opened up to to us. Similarly, the Old Testament in the disciples' minds and in ours, the Old Testament is the game, quote-unquote. Here's the thing. Jesus has beaten the game. Now he's given us access to his Microsoft account so we can go on Xbox, play the game, and beat that game. We've got all of his upgrades. We've got access to every single level because Jesus has been there and he's beaten every single level. This is what we get. The whole world of that game is now open to us to explore, to enjoy, to dig into. This is similar to what Jesus did to the minds of his disciples. They were once looking at the scriptures and then the way that they viewed them were completely changed because now all they see is Jesus in every page of every verse in every chapter of the scriptures. This is what the Bible means, I think, when it speaks of the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. It's all over the New Testament. 
Robert Jones preached a great message months ago on the doxology, the last several verses of Romans chapter 16, the last verses of the entire book. And, and that the, the mystery of the gospel is mentioned there. But in the book of Ephesians, the mystery of the gospel, the word mystery is used over and over and over again. It also says in Ephesians chapter 3 that we are part of the fellowship of the mystery that what unites us together as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ is the mystery. That mystery binds us together. What is that mystery? And I'm just going to go to Ephesians 1. Let's go to our next text this morning. Ephesians 1, and the scriptures say this in verses 7 through 10. I love this chapter. It says that in him, Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Let these words wash over you. Some of you, I think, I think you're doing that. You're like going like this. Unless you're sleeping. But but seriously, let these words wash over you. This This is beautiful, elevated, poetic theology. Check this out. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will. There it is. The mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Whoa. That is crazy. I could spend weeks teasing out every one of those words. But in essence, Paul is telling us, he's carried away into this ecstatic poetry, and he tells us, hey, listen, here's what Jesus did. We have been made clean, we have been saved by his blood. Not only that, he has lavished, dumped on us his grace. The reality of our lives is that no matter how broken we are, we cannot go anywhere and escape his grace. His grace reaches us wherever we are. But not only that, that in His grace, He has has revealed God's master plan for all of human history. And that master plan is this, that He would take things on earth and things in heaven and make them one for His glory. This is why He saved us. Not just so we could have a better life. He saved us because he is doing something with all of us, all of the natural resources, the raw materials that we are. He's taking us, people on earth, merging us with things in heaven, and one day there will be this thing called the new creation. And in the new creation, all sin will be obliterated. All sickness and suffering will be done away with forever. Satanic interference will forever be cast into the lake of fire. And we will have new resurrected bodies with skin and fingers and bones. And we will never get sick and we will never die. And we will run together and eat together and play together and work together. And we will love Jesus together because we will see him like we see each other right now. This is ultimately what God is going to do in merging the new creation, in making the new creation. 
Now, here's the question. Is this a response to the brokenness of the world? How long has this plan been in play? Let's go back to verse 3. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here's what that means. The blessings of the new creation are being stored for us in heaven. When the new creation is finally made, finally consummated, the blessings that are being held for us, stored for us in our lockers in heaven, are going to be dumped into us, given to us. This is why Paul can say we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's not just wishful thinking, looking at the glass half full. That's not not what he's saying. We literally have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that if if we really believe this, if we choose to reject the story that the world tells us every day that our lives are incomplete, that we got to keep making our houses better, we got to get a better car, we got to make more money, we got to have a better wardrobe because what we have just isn't enough. If we reject and push back on that and really believe that we can find unending gladness and joy in the new creation, we can cultivate a perseverance and a patience to be content with what we have now and hold out for the glory that is to come. We're getting ready to do a series on contentment at some point down the road. We need to deal with this. Man, we are addicted to the story that we don't have, what we think we need. We've got to be saved from stuff. Maybe we'll call it that. If my team says that's cool enough. So, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing even as He chose us in Him, when? Before the foundation of the world. This isn't God going, oh man, I need a plan B because this world's crazy. This is God saying, somehow, I know you people don't get this. I put myself in the people here. I know you guys don't get this, but I've got a plan that one day when you see its full revelation is going to blow your mind. And when that happens, every tear will be wiped away. You will look back over the landscape, the rubble of human history, and you won't be able to help except to see my glory shining over that rubble. You will know at that point, I have been in full control. And so what's the implication there? Trust me. I know your life's crazy. Trust me. Trust me. Obey me. You can put your life in my hands. Trust me. Because I'm not just responding to your brokenness where you are. I had you in my mind before you were ever born, before your parents were born, before your grandparents were born, before Adam and Eve were born, you were in my mind and in my heart, and I've got a calling for your life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know why Paul is so beside himself in this text. 
Now, you know why Paul writes in massive run-on sentences. He just gets carried away. He can't help himself. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. I know some people don't like those words. Foreordained, predestined. It's in the Bible. Deal with it. (laughs) This is the mystery of the gospel. That all of that stuff happening in the Old Testament was rooted in a beautiful and glorious plan that, yes, will lead to your and my salvation if we trust in Jesus. But more than that, will lead to the salvation and the renewal of all of planet Earth for the glory of Jesus. It's crazy to me that most preachers don't ever preach about the new creation because the Bible says that's our ultimate hope. It's crazy to me that we are always feeling the pressure of members to put band-aids on all your cancer and all your struggles and all your things going on right now. And please understand what I'm saying. Beneath that, I'm not saying we don't want to pray for you and believe with you and encourage you and be there for you. That's what pastors and churches should do. But that's not the why behind the church. That's not the why that drives us. We are a called-out people that God has sent into the world to make much of him. Much of him. And so the question is, I'm only getting halfway through this sermon. I'll finish it next week. The question is, will we allow Jesus to open our minds to his glory? Chris, how do I do that? I don't know. I don't know how to make God do something. But I can tell you this. Over and over and over in our scriptures, we are called to repent, to turn our hearts and lives to Him. We are called to pursue Him and trust in Him and follow Him. That's all He said. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. And I'm asking everybody here today, follow Him. Follow Him. Follow him. Next week, we're going to go a little deeper into this text. What we're doing over these first two weeks is discovering what the core identity of the church is. And I want to just give you a teaser for next week. We are not first a devotional people. We are first a missional people. Now, I don't want to make enemies of those two concepts. In order to be a missional people, we must abide in Jesus. We must be about Jesus. We must be like Mary and not Martha and sit at at Jesus' feet. But Jesus has a plan for the church. And it wasn't for us to circle the wagons and have amazing Bible studies. It's for us to penetrate the darkness and go to where lostness is and bring light. And it's not just, we'll talk about this a little more next week. After you hear this, you may may not want to come back. It's not just the 12 apostles who are given this responsibility. All of us are. In varying degrees, all of us are. But I'm asking you today, in being a part of the church of Jesus, and I don't mean renewal church, I'm talking about the big church, big C church, the church made up of believers that are all over planet earth, 
believers in that are f- fighting for their lives in Iraq, trying to stay alive, running from ISIS, believers that are meeting in house churches in other parts of the Middle East, believers that are gathered in beautiful sanctuaries on a Sunday morning here in America and abroad, um, t- believers all over planet Earth. We are the called out people of Jesus. And he's got stuff for us to do. Will we trust him with our lives? Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, God, for everything that you were doing in our hearts, in our lives. I thank you for what you were doing at Renewal Church. God, I'm so, so grateful for the new folks that you're bringing here. I am so thankful for that. And Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that we would not, our response to that would not be to simply get excited about being a growing church, but that we would see ourselves as having a unique mandate to bring light where there is lostness and darkness. Over the next few weeks, as we talk about our mission as a church, I pray, Jesus, that everyone here would feel resonance with that mission, that that would be something that we can get excited about. But even deeper than that, that we would put down deep roots in our local church so that together we can lock arms and respond to the brokenness of our community and the rest of this world. In Jesus' name, 